young men I heard, I heard say that in this corner over here, there's two sleeping fellows yesterday. I'm going to watch. Okay, looks like everyone has been having a good time. Trust opening our hearts to the Lord and <clears throat> being inspired. Finding areas and things in our life that we can change for the good. Uh, the Christian life is... Uh, filled with many decisions. It's decisions that we make <clears throat> and it affects our emotions and our feelings and all that. Uh, uh, that's sort of dark over there. I'm not sure why that is. The light, I think, has issues. It affects our feelings and emotions and all that, but I, it comes back to the Christian life is there's choices, decisions, that will affect where, where it leads us. <clears throat> Before we start, could we all rise to our feet and pray? Our Father, we thank you for such a beautiful day outside. The sun is shining. We thank you for the, the good teaching that we've had this morning already. <clears throat> Finances, and as well as how to relate to mother and parents and all that. Our discussions and even learning how to sing. Lord, we look forward to that day when we will be with you and we'll sing throughout all the ages of eternity. We ask that you'd help us to learn how to sing well. Help us to learn to enjoy good singing. Help us, Lord, to learn what good music is and what bad music is. And Lord, even now as we're here uh, at the beginning of this session this afternoon, I ask that you'd help us to again open our hearts to you as we look at Nehemiah. And we look at the things that he did and how you used him and all that. I, I ask that you would inspire our hearts ask that you would give us goals and visions. And God, I would just ask that you would please give me clear thoughts and your burden and an ability to communicate things that uh, the youth could connect with. Help me, Lord. We ask for your Holy Spirit, your presence to continue to be here. Thank you for being here. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I was looking at the distance between 
Jerusalem, uh, the land of Judah there, uh, Israel, and, uh, and Babylon. Does anyone know uh, what the distance was between uh, the two places? 550 to 575 miles, which is equivalent to uh, the distance that we traveled uh, from home there in Ohio, uh, there by Walnut Creek to here. Uh, basically the same distance. <clears throat> uh, if, if a person would walk uh, 12 hours a day, it would take 15 days to get there. If you, uh, if you walk 10, 10 hours a day, it'd take about 18 days to get there. So when we talk about Ezra and Nehemiah and them traveling from Babylon to Jerusalem, it took them about at least a minimum of 15 days, maybe 18 days of walking, walking day after day to get there. <clears throat> Turn with me uh, to the book of Nehemiah in chapter 1. I'd like to read, um, I'd like to start reading in verse 11 of chapter 1. I'll come back to the beginning of chapter 1 later. But I'd like to look at a characteristic that Nehemiah had and um, it doesn't go into much detail, but in verse 11 it says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. We very quickly skim across that, and we don't know what all that means. A cupbearer in the days of Nehemiah was a person who would be in the presence of the king. And every time that the king would drink or eat something, he would sample it before it was given to the king because he wanted to make sure that no one, no one would put any poison in and poison the king. And it was their way of, pre, of prevention. It was their way to, to, to watch out and to make sure that, that the king didn't get killed through poisoning. And so he was the king's cupbearer. Now consider with me what Nehemiah did prior to becoming the king's cupbearer, that, that, that the king had confidence in Nehemiah that he is a man of integrity. Think about that. What, what kind of history did Nehemiah have up to this point that the king, the king trusted him to be his cupbearer? It doesn't say doesn't say. But it makes me consider my own life. <clears throat> I, I, I want to give you a couple stories. Uh, 
to help you relate to the need for integrity and honesty. Integrity and honesty is very, very important. And Nehemiah was obviously a man of very high integrity, very high integrity. You know how it is to easily respond back to someone and not say the truth. Here's some, uh, I'm not sure how long ago, I was laying in bed one, one morning, and it was on the earlier side, but I was still in bed, and the phone went. And one of my employees was on the phone, and he heard I was a bit croaky, and he said, oh, did he get you out of bed? Guess what I said? I was embarrassed that I was in bed because he was uh, at the shop already working. And I said, no, you didn't get me out of bed. Why did I say that? I said that because I was embarrassed. And, well, of course, the Lord didn't let me go with that. You know how it goes. Uh, a little bit later on, or a couple hours later, I, I talked to him, and I told him, you asked me if, I was, if you got me out of bed, and, and I said, no, but you did, and I'm sorry about that, okay? There's a man that's working for me today. He's a man from the local community, from a conservative He's a conservative man. And some years ago, it was discovered that this man had fallen into adultery. Not only had he fallen into adultery, but for years, 10 or 15 years, he kept this hid. And it wasn't just one time, but it was a continual living in adultery. And this, when this all came out, after, after many years, it came out and it was revealed. And, and I won't go into all the details, but they came and they asked this man, they said, did you do this? And he said, no. They asked him a number of questions and he said, no. And finally they let it go. And sometime later they came back from a different approach. And they said, we know that you did this. We know that you did. Just be honest. And finally he confessed. I just bring this to tell you that a man or a lady can get into the habit of covering up and covering up and covering up to where the conscience is no longer there. And even to this day, I believe this man is clear before God today. I believe he's repented and he's clear. But to this day, he still struggles with lying. And to this day, there's, when you ask him a question, I come away saying, I don't know if he said the truth or if he didn't. Because he's lived a lie for years and years and years. 
Nehemiah was a man of integrity. He was a man of honesty. He was a man that, that said the truth and he did the truth and he was an open, honest man. And because of that, the king looked at him and he said, I'm willing to make this man the man that I can trust above all others. I'm going to trust him. And if he, if he takes it, you know, he's a worthy man. He won't be pulling any stunts. He's an honest man. He's a man of integrity. <clears throat> now let me give you another little story about honesty. I used to work with a man for a number of years. And earlier on in this, this young man's employment, <clears throat> in his younger days, he got into a habit of stealing. He got into a habit of stealing. But he was a whiz when it came to finances. He was smart. He was on top of it, and everyone knew it. He was a smart man. And so my employer at the time hired him as his chief financial officer of the company, and it was a good-sized company, <clears throat> and he hired him. And just soon after he hired him, he discovered that he stole a small amount of money. And he approached him about it, and he came forward, and he said, I did that, and I'm sorry. But he had done it time and time again earlier prior to this time. Well, the owner of the company, he was a God-fearing man and he forgave him. And it was right to forgive, but a man like that is not to be trusted because of how he has repeatedly stole and stole and stole. <clears throat> uh, the story goes on that about 10 years later, he was, he was in charge of this owner's personal finances, the company finances. He was responsible for everything. And when he quit working for this company, <clears throat> a couple of years later, they were trying to figure out some of these loans and, and trying to pull everything together, and only to discover that this man walked away with a million dollars in his pocket to start his own business. And there's no way to bring everything, everything together and really know the whole details of what all happened. Let me just tell you, that all started because there was a young man at a young age who had no level of integrity of honesty. He allowed himself to be dishonest. If he'd be working for, or if he would have worked for someone else, he'd, be, he'd still be in jail. But he's making a living today. Never got turned in. Nehemiah was a man of integrity. He was a man that people could trust. He was a man that the king looked to and he trusted him. Nehemiah was a godly man. 
this story of Nehemiah, uh, if we look into the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is also written by Ezra. Ezra wrote both books. Um, and Nehemiah, uh, where we're going to start talking about Nehemiah here, started 13 years after what we heard yesterday. So Ezra was in the beginning of people going back to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem. And with Ezra, they built the temple. <clears throat> but that was Ezra's focus. Ezra's focus was to build the temple, to teach the people to be God-fearing, and to bring them back to obedience to the law. That was Ezra's focus. And when he was finished, he kept on teaching the people. But here was Nehemiah, and God stirred up Nehemiah. And I'd like to uh, maybe start reading in verse 1. Let's go back and just read a couple of verses in, in chapter 1. Nehemiah 1, I think we'll read maybe 1 through 4. <clears throat> this is the beginning of where we find Nehemiah here. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeli, and it came to pass in the month of Shisalu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanai, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted before the God of heaven. So here was Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, and some of his friends came, came from Jerusalem and, they asked, and he asked him, how are things going in Jerusalem? How are things going in Israel? And he said, it's of great reproach. He said, things are in horrible shape there. Now, yesterday, you know, some great things happened 12 years ago. <laughs> the temple was built. But he said, the walls are, are, are flat. He said, the gates are burned. And he said, the people, there's a horrible reproach. In the, in the land of Israel, it's a mockery. <laughs> there's a reproach. <clears throat> And it's a laughing stock. Well, that was very difficult, very, very difficult for Nehemiah. Nehemiah took this very hard. He took it very personal, and he started fasting and praying and seeking the Lord. And it says that he came before the king, and the king looked at him and he said, Why are you so sad? Well, he was fasting and he was praying and he was seeking the Lord. And he, he just told him, he said, well, how can I be happy 
If, if, if the land of my fathers is a horrible reproach, how can I be happy? And, and the king said, well, what do you want me to do? What are you asking for? And he came and he said, I'm asking that you send me back to my father's land to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he said, how long can I be gone? Or he asked, how long do you want to be gone? And he said, for 12 years. You can be gone for 12 years. And so he gave him permission to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah went back to rebuild the walls of, of Jerusalem, the gates, the city, and to put everything back into place. That was his mission. That was where his burden was. <clears throat> He was a rebuilder. Um, Ezra was a rebuilder of the temple and of the law, and Nehemiah was a rebuilder of the walls of Jerusalem. The, it reminded me, as I was preparing for this, it reminded me of some other Nehemiahs that we've had. Um, about... 20 to 25 years ago, actually maybe 25 to 30 years ago, down in the, in, in the valleys and in the, in the rolling hills of Tennessee, there was a little church, and we've got a couple brothers and sisters here from that little church here today. But um, people tell me, <clears throat> Brother Dale Heisey was one of the early people from that church who helped start that church. And people tell me how that church used to be back in the day. There was people that got, that, that got converted. And there was a wonderful testimony in the community. In fact, it was just a, uh, people would talk about that church over there and, and how it's prospering and how the people love each other. They do that. I, I still hear this stuff. And, and after some time, about 15, 20 years ago, things happened, and for 15 to 20 years, this church has literally <laughs> been through confusion, confusion, confusion. And just in the last couple of years, there is some things happened again. There was a couple Nehemiahs that were praying and praying, and the thing has sort of, it's really changed, and the testimony is starting to come out back out, uh, up again. And there is a, a small united brotherhood that loves God, and there's again a testimony starting to rise after 20 years. That's, that was Nehemiah. That was Nehemiah to the children of Israel. <clears throat> okay, need to move on here quickly. Um, Nehemiah was one of those men who was motivated and strengthened by the promises of God. Now, sometimes we look at these men and, and we think that they have supernatural strength and power from God that, that we don't have today. But Nehemiah, when he was looking and he was thinking back to Israel, to Jerusalem, 
There's certain scriptures that he read, and when he prayed, he thought to those verses, and he, it says that he encouraged himself and he reminded God. He said, God, you remember. And I'd like to just read uh, some of these verses soon. But he reminded God. He took God and he said, God, you remember. You promised that when, when your people turn away from you, they will be destroyed. They will be carried into captivity. But not only that, you also promised that wherever they're going to be, if they repent, you're going to bring them back. And Nehemiah reminded God, he said, God, you remember that, and this is the situation. Would you come and do it? Now let's just read those verses in Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> in verse 8 it says, Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye trespass, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, yet I will gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great, great and strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was a king's cupbearer. I like to just tell you that a man of God like, like Nehemiah, he took the word of God. And when he saw a truth, he encouraged himself in it, and he believed it even though he couldn't see it. You know how it is for us young people? Sometimes we are in a dark valley of discouragement, and we ask the question, where is God? Right? Where's God? I can't feel God anymore. Where is God? But the word of God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so, just like Nehemiah, Nehemiah looked and he said, God had promised, God said, if we repent, he's going to take us back. And he prayed to God and he reminded God, God, you said this, and so I believe it. In the same way, brothers and sisters, when we face things, we know what the word of God says and we can encourage ourselves in the word. Right? We look, we look at those promises and we just simply believe it and we say, well, God, I don't feel it. Lord, are my sins washed away? Well, I've confessed them. If I've confessed my sins, then I'm just going to put my confidence and trust in God like Nehemiah did. Nehemiah couldn't see what all was going to happen and materialize in front of him, but as he read the law, he, he realized God had promised that he's going to open that door again. And so he just said, God, this is what your word says. I'm just going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. I'm, going to, I'm just going to believe 
and the doors just opened up. That was Nehemiah. Under, <clears throat> under Nehemiah's guidance, they started building the wall. He took a group of people back, and they started building the wall. Uh, they put men in sections. They give, like, families sections all the way around the wall of Jerusalem. They gave families their responsibility, and they started building the wall. There are two verses that I'd especially like to, to look at. It's, it's mentioned here in, in Nehemiah 3, verse 5. There's one family that had a negative report on them building, and there's, a, there's another one that had a positive report in the building. This is what it says, Nehemiah 3, 5. And the next of them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. Did you hear that? They put not their necks to the work. So they didn't apply themselves. Nehemiah noticed that. Here's another one. Nehemiah 3.20 says, And after him Barak, the son of Zabbai, earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall unto the door of the house of Elisha and the high priest. So there's one crew that really worked and another one that did not. In the middle of building the wall, some of the things that happened uh, was that there was Sanballat and Tobiah. They were governors. Uh, Sanballat was up close to Samaria. He was a governor that was also under the same king of Babylon. And then there was Tobias. He was over east of the Sea of Galilee. He was governor over there. And, and these two governors did not want to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuild. And so they were going to do everything within their power to stop the work. They wanted to stop it uh, because they weren't Israelites. They weren't people of God. They served other idols, and, and they wanted to stop the work. <clears throat> this is what it says in... Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation, and he mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burnt? There was all kinds of rubbish and trash and all that, and, and he was making fun of them. <clears throat> and when they started building the walls, this is what he said. He said, now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down the stone wall. <laughs> What a mockery. <laughs> Those big walls, uh, uh, the walls varied, but normally they were 10, 12 feet wide. And often there's even houses built on top of these walls. And he was just making a big mockery out of this whole thing. <clears throat> As we go through here, I'd like for us to just consider that a lot of this whole uh, rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, a lot of these things can be applied 
to us in our own personal situations, in our homes and in our churches. These things are real things that happen. And, and you look at Nehemiah's response, and we'd like to be responding like Nehemiah did. <clears throat> uh, rumors. He, they put out rumors, and they, uh, you know, they said, you know, this, this Nehemiah, all he wants to do is he wants to rebuild the walls, and then he's going to rebel against the king of Babylon again. And he spread rumors, rumors out. Uh, I know how that is. I mean, you know, don't you? I mean, have you ever had rumors spread about you? Um, I have. We here some here some years ago. There's um, uh, we were having some struggles in the church, and we were trying to sort through some things. And and first thing I knew, uh, there's all kinds of rumors flying around about Faith Christian Fellowship, and, and I remember walking into our local coffee shop, my wife and I, and, and this, this lady behind the desk, her eyes got real big behind the counter. Her eyes got real big, and she said, are you allowed to be in here? You're the preacher. <laughs> and I said, why is that? Well, I heard, I heard the people from faith aren't allowed to come to jitters anymore. <laughs> Rumors, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah, he, he simply, he brushed those things aside and he just kept on building the wall. <laughs> he just kept on building the wall. <laughs> uh, isn't that something? You know, he just keep on, on, on going. And Nehemiah, you know, they kept distracting him and kept distracting him, but Nehemiah just kept on going. Uh, Send Ballad and, and Tobiah. They said, hey, come out here. Hey, come out here to the city. We want to meet with you. And Nehemiah said, I don't have time to come. I'm rebuilding the wall. <laughs> he, knew, he, knew, he knew that they were up to mischief, and so he just, he just, he just uh, shut them out. Brothers and sisters, you're going to face some of that too. You're going to be rebuilding the wall and there's rumors, and there's things that are going to come your way to distract, just like it was in the rebuilding of the wall there in Jerusalem. <clears throat> there's rumors and distractions, and you need to do like Nehemiah did, just put those things behind. <clears throat> well, not only that, it got so bad that Nehemiah, uh, they were going to attack and Nehemiah had, had the people uh, that were building have a sword in one hand and their, their, and their work uh, equipment in the other. And half the people were out guarding, the other half was working, and the half that was working had, had a sword in one hand and, and the work uh, tools in the other. But with a strong Commitment to keep on, no matter what comes my way, Nehemiah kept on going. He kept right on going until the walls were complete and the doors were hung and they could shut the gates. There's still a lot of rubbish to clean up on the inside, but the walls were completed. <clears throat> After he was there for a while, uh, some of the people came 
to Nehemiah, and they said, Nehemiah, there's some problems out here. He said, I have to go get a loan so I can buy seed. He said, I have to go uh, loan money so I can even feed my family. I have to loan money so I can pay the king. And Nehemiah listened. And as he listened, he realized that a lot of the things that had been set in place years ago with the law were totally put away. And he said, everyone needs to come together. And, and they forgave everyone's debt. <laughs> they forgave all their debts. And everyone had an equal amount of money. And he said, none of this, some people getting rich on your brothers. You don't charge interest to your brothers. After seven years, if you get a loan after seven years, it's all wiped away. And peace came again. The, uh, the inequality that was there was all taken away. <clears throat> Here's another thing. The people very quickly fell back into their old ways again. Nehemiah was there and he rebuilt the walls. He was there for 12 years. And at the end of 12 years, <clears throat> at the end of 12 years, he went back and he was, for a time, he was back in Babylon again. And when he came back to Jerusalem, to his utter dismay, guess who was in the temple? The people that he had appointed to be uh, watching over the temple, they had allowed that Tobiah to come and have a room in the temple. And because he was there, the people quit bringing their alms so the priests could even uh, have their daily sacrifice. All that quit in just a very short time because Tobiah got a room in the temple. And Nehemiah quickly went in there and he got all their stuff and he just threw it all out, and he reestablished it again. And not only that, <clears throat> uh, people were coming in on the Sabbath day. They were coming in in the gate, and they were selling their goods on the Sabbath day. And Nehemiah said, you go and you shut those gates. Sabbath day morning, you shut those gates, and don't let them in. So... Next Sabbath, they rolled around, and here they were all sitting outside the gate. And Nehemiah said, you just let them out there. And the second Sabbath, they rolled around, and they were outside, outside, the, outside the gate again. And, and Nehemiah said, you, you go out there, and you tell them that if they show up next Sabbath day, we're going to chase you away. <laughs> And not only that, soon they come and they tell Nehemiah yeah, that there's some mixed marriages again. And guess what Nehemiah did? Nehemiah was so emphatic about it, he went out and he grabbed a hold of some of these guys' hair and he literally pulled a guy's hair out of his head. <laughs> Just 12 years before, Ezra 
had it all cleaned up. Twelve years later, they were back into all these things again. And Nehemiah just sort of cleaned house. Nehemiah just cleaned house again. Nehemiah was a faithful man. <clears throat> well, I'd like to spend a little bit of time just looking at some practical things on the walls of Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem, there are city walls there around Jerusalem today. Um, there's walls around it, and they're at a different place than they would have been back in, in the day here. <clears throat> Those walls that were around the city, they protected the people on the inside, right? They protected them. <clears throat> they were normally fairly wide. They were normally pretty good size, and... and the people really had a security in those walls because um, if the enemy would come, they would close the gate and the enemy would sit outside. And they tried to have a water supply on the inside of the city. And if they had a water supply and a nice amount of food, they could for a long time be inside the city and on the outside, they would try to do what they can to get in. And oftentimes, they would sit on the outside, waiting out till they're hungry or waiting till they're out of water or food, till they had to open the gate to get in. So these gates was a huge safety in their day. When the Romans came in, in the destruction of Jerusalem, and that was around 70 A.D., or about 50 or 30 years, or 40 years after Christ was here. About 40 years after Christ was here was a destruction of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and when they came, they had these large battering rams and they had these huge balls that they would put into their machines and they would pound the wall with these balls day after day after day until these walls, these stone walls would start to crumble. And, and they do this. Prior to the Romans, they didn't have that kind of ammunition. They would have all kinds of other... Uh, a strategic things to try to get the people to recant. But these walls were huge. And in, in the destruction of Jerusalem, there's horrible, horrible things that happen in the destruction of Jerusalem. If you read the book of Josephus, <clears throat> the things that happened is unbelievable and there's prophecies there's a lot of prophecies that are prophesied of how horrible this is going to be and every one of those was fulfilled in AD 70 about the destruction of Jerusalem but all that to say those walls had have tremendous uh, it, it gave fortitude for the city 
Now, I'd like to just say that, and I, I'm not sure um, how to really um, how to say this, but there are people, <clears throat> those people inside the city, they could view those walls from a couple different angles. Those walls to them could either be freedom or bondage, right? They could look at those walls and they could say, wow, I'm inside these walls. This is bondage. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's this little cage um, here. I had a friend who, who had this little bird cage and, and, you know, and this bird cage, uh, you know, this bird was inside the cage and had this little door. And, and, and this little bird, as it was inside the door, uh, you know, it, you know it, it, it really wanted to get out. But guess what happened? One day, that door happened to be open, and the bird flew out. And guess what happened? The cat got it. Now, was the cage bondage or freedom? Freedom, right? Right? So, so, so sometimes it's sort of deceptive, right? <laughs> that was, you know, that, that birdcage was freedom. <laughs> but, it, but the bird didn't know that. It flew out. And what appeared to be freedom was actually bondage. Okay? I like to just take another step. <clears throat> there are things for you, for you youth. Sometimes your parents or the church asks things of you and you go, oh, bondage. You know what I mean? Right? Uh, sometimes there are things that your parents, your father, mother, or maybe church leaders will ask of you. And your first reaction will be, oh, bondage. You know, that brings me under bondage. Is it bondage? It can be bondage or freedom. All depends how we look at it, right? Many times the things that we quickly look at as being bondage is actually freedom. Let me give you a couple illustrations of that. Okay? Now, <clears throat> you, you boys, okay? Uh, I'm going to pick on you first, okay? Now, you men, uh, you enjoy power, right? Right? You, know, you just enjoy power. And so, <clears throat> when you're looking at getting a vehicle, Guess what dad's going to say pretty soon? He's going to say, well, son, uh, be careful what kind of vehicle you get. I don't want you to get one with too much power because the, I know how boys are because uh, I used to be one too. You know, you, if, if there's a bunch of power under the hood, guess what happens? Speed limit's 55, driving down the road, and 
And all of a sudden, guess what? I feel some Wheaties. And, and all of a sudden, I just have this urge, right? Am I right, boys? I just have this urge, and I, and I just, and I, and I watch the speed limit, or the, I, I, I just watch the speedometer going up. And, and, you know, you know, the thing's going on. And, right, boys? And so, does Dad have some wisdom when he says, boys, it's best to not get a car with too much power? Now, is that bondage? Okay, but, but to some boys, that feels like bondage, right, boys? It does. It, it, it feels restrictive. <laughs> it feels restrictive if, if Dad says, you know, not too much power, because I know how it is. You know, you know, you, you know you're just going around your normal day, driving, and, and all of a sudden you get this urge. You just go, Okay. Now, okay, let me just tell you, it's okay for dad or the church leaders to just help you in some of that. Is that right? Now, if, if, that, if there's some restriction there, uh, will that, is that, does that make you more spiritual if, you, if, if there's a restriction there? Does it? No. Because there's a restriction there doesn't make you more spiritual. Okay? But what it does is it gives you freedom to do God's will. Right? It liberates you. It actually brings you freedom so, so the, that urge, that those temptations, some of those things aren't as strong, and it liberates you to serve God. Right? Now, girls, uh, uh, let me give you another example. Uh, you know what girls like to do? Uh, some girls like to sort of paint their fingernails, you know, and sort of, you know, stand in front of the mirror and put some, some stuff in, and, uh, you know, because it's, I like to look nice, and I like people to, you know, and my toes too, you know, and, and uh, because I like to look nice. Now, I, now, I don't want to do much, just a little bit, okay? Right? I, I don't want to do much. I, I, just want to do, I just want to do a little bit. Okay, now let me just ask you, what does that do? Does that make you just feel more humble? Mm. Oh, thank you, Lord, for... Or does, or, does it, or does it make you sort of... Oh, sort of proud, sort of, you know, you know sort of... Right? Okay. So is it wrong for your moms and dads or the church to say, it's best if you don't do that? See, see even Scripture says uh, that we shouldn't adorn ourselves. And so it's liberating. If you don't do that, all that stuff, it's actually liberating. You can be much more freely serve God, and, you're, and you can be a humble lady with a meek and a quiet spirit, 
But if you do all this, guess what happens? It's just sort of, you know, your, you know, your head becomes, you know, like a balloon. And, and, and they actually get in bondage, right? It's actually bondage. But, but, but a lot of ladies think the other way. A lot of ladies think that it's actually freedom to be able to do that. I want to be free, right? They say, I want to be free. So, so they do all this stuff, all this stuff here, and, and you know, and, you know, all this stuff. Uh, I mean, I, you know, walk through a parking lot, and you know, there's this lady there, you know, by the mirror in the car. You know, I see that. You know, and but, but tell me, are those things? Freedom, or is it bondage? Just like the children of Israel, those walls around the city, they could be viewed as bondage, or they could be viewed as freedom. I'd like to suggest to us that a lot of the things that we naturally look at as restrictive is actually liberating. It's actually liberating. If we follow God's word, those things actually liberate us to serve God. They make us free to do his will. And we're not bogged down by all this stuff. Okay? And boys, there's a lot of other stuff I could pick on you too, right? But I don't think I will today. Because I think you got the point, right? <clears throat> My point is, consider carefully, whether it's your parents or whether it's the church leaders trying to give direction on various things. I'll just give uh, just another um, illustration, maybe. Now, some years ago, there's some people from our fellowship who were heavily involved in Facebook. Now, uh, Facebook in itself, uh, is it wrong? I don't, know. I don't know. You know, it's a nice way to communicate, maybe. But let me tell you something that was happening. Some of our youth had friends. And those friends uh, had, many of those friends had left a lot of the things uh, actually, we used to fellowship closely, and some and many of these friends threw away a lot of the things that we hold to today as being godly principles of modesty, and in you know, and the way that we feel is right to serve God. They threw those things away, and yet, <clears throat> Facebook is a medium to communicate back and forth with people who we don't see very often. They might be in a different community, or they might be in the same community, but because we don't fellowship with them, uh, you know, we sort of like to keep up with them on Facebook. Well, guess what was happening? What was happening is our youth, because of that interaction back and forth, those youth, they would put all these godly phrases and things on Facebook of, oh, how wonderful their walk is with God, and all these, you know, 
you know, good godly things. But now they no longer wore a covering. Now they are actively involved in a lot of things that we don't approve of, that we don't feel is right and God-fearing. And guess what happened? Some of our young people, it brought confusion. Who's right? Are they right? Or the church? Right? And it was actually bringing confusion. So, <clears throat> so we took a position as a church to just put away with all that. Now, put it away. Okay, now, the question is, is that freedom or is it bondage? Freedom. Do you follow what I'm saying? What happened is when we got rid of that, all of a sudden some of the fog in some of our young people started clearing away. And they said, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I can see clearer now. <laughs> and there's a freedom that came. But it appeared, you know, some people look and say, well, that's bondage. That's a bunch of rubbish. You know, we ought to be free to just, you know, what's wrong with Facebook? Uh, do you follow what I'm saying? So consider that carefully. And before we make a lot of judgments, consider what are these things that we're doing? What are they doing to us? Are they really bringing us into freedom to where we can serve God more freely without all these distractions? Or are they bringing us into bondage, what some people call freedom, but it's actually bondage, a slave to self? Which is it doing? I think I'll stop with that. Consider carefully. Nehemiah <clears throat> was a godly example. Nehemiah was a godly man that God used in his day. And he was willing to put aside, go in and deal with those things. He was willing to go against the odds of people laughing and mocking and even trying to stop the work. He put those things aside, and he just kept on going. Lord bless you. I trust we can all be encouraged by that.